our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Cop of murder. Corruption can be hiding anywhere. On March 10th, 1987, a man was killed and, in the aftermath of his murder, a wide net of corruption was unmasked and laid bare for the public to see. Despite this, his murder remains unsolved, and no one has ever seen prosecution for the crime. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Daniel John Morgan, born on November 3, 1949 in Singapore, was the son of an army officer who grew up in Monmouthshire, Wales, where he attended agricultural college before going off to Denmark to gain experience in farming. Despite his hard work and clear career path, Daniel always had an exceptional memory for the small details, and in 1984, used that ability to his advantage and started up a detective agency, Southern Investigations in Thornton Heath. By this point, Daniel had settled down and married the woman who would have his two children, made a good living working the agency with partner Jonathan Reese, and began selling tip-offs and crime stories from the local police to the local newspapers to gain a little extra money. Things were going well for Daniel, which, as fans of true crime, you know is all about to come crumbling down around him. On March 10th, 1987, after spending the evening out to drinks with his business partner and friend, 27-year-old Daniel left the Golden Lion Pub in Sydneyham, only to be found dead in the pub's parking lot. His body was left lying next to his vehicle with what looked like an axe wound to the back of his head, with some sources claiming that the axe was still protruding from his skull. Although his watch had been stolen from his wrist, nothing else on Daniel's person was stolen including the wallet containing a large sum of money that was still sitting in his jacket pocket. His pants had been torn open and the notes he had been writing earlier that evening were missing. It seemed that the notes were far more important to the killer than the 1,000 pounds they left behind, which begged the question, what was Daniel investigating and why did it result in his vicious murder? Over the next 20 years, there were a total of five police inquiries into the death of Daniel Morgan. The first was the initial Metropolitan Police Inquiry, in which his partner, Jonathan Reese, and a man named Sid Flinnery, a detective, were both questioned. Both, of course, denied any involvement in his murder. Detective Sergeant Sid Fillery, based at Catford Police Station, was initially assigned to Daniel's case. 
but for one reason or another, failed to mention to his superiors that he had been working unofficially for Southern Investigations at the time of Daniel's murder. Whatever the investigation led to, on April 3rd, 1987, six individuals, including Sid, Jonathan, brothers Glenn and Gary Vian, and two other Metropolitan Police officers were all arrested on suspicion of murder. However, all were later released and none were ever officially charged. Then that summer, Detective Constable Alan Taffy Holmes, an acquaintance of Daniel's, took his own life under mysterious circumstances right around the same time it was revealed that Allen had been collaborating with Daniel on a case that would unveil some drug-related police corruption in South London. In fact, according to Daniel's family, the investigation was about to be complete, and Daniel, just before his death, was putting the final touches on his case and was ready to expose the guilty. When this inquiry failed to bring any concrete answers, a second one was begun by the Hampshire police in 1988, in which Jonathan Reese and a second man were both charged with Daniel Morgan's murder. Investigators alleged that Jonathan, who was in the heat of a disagreement with Daniel, told Kevin Lennon, the Southern Investigations accountant, that police officers at Catford Police Station, who were friends of his, were going to either murder Daniel themselves or arrange for the murder and that Sid Fillory would replace Daniel as his partner. Jonathan again denied any involvement in this murder, and eventually the charges were completely dropped due to lack of evidence. At the conclusion of their inquiry, the Hampshire police reported that there was, quote, no evidence whatsoever that the police had been involved in Daniel's murder. Shortly thereafter, Sid Fillory retired from the Metro Police on medical grounds and took over Daniel's position at Southern Investigations. The same man who, according to witnesses, tampered with the evidence in the case and interfered with witnesses during the inquiry. In 1998, the Metropolitan Police Deputy Assistant Commissioner, Roy Clark, secretly began conducting a third inquiry into the murder, and this time decided to use a police informant to bug the offices at Southern Investigations. Because of this new tactic, in December of 2000, Jonathan Reese was charged and found guilty of attempting to pervert the course of justice when he was caught conspiring to plant cocaine on an innocent woman to discredit her during a heated custody battle and was sentenced to seven years imprisonment. It was around this time that the Morgan family called for the disclosure of the 1989 Hampshire police report and Deputy Commissioner Clark imposed some very restrictive conditions to their request. However, a review by the Mets Murder Review Group recommended in October 2001 that the Daniel Morgan case be reinvestigated and in June of 2002, police appealed to the public on Crime Watch to come forward with any pieces of information. This is when a fourth inquiry, which took place from 2002 to 2003, began and a potential new suspect's car and Glenn Vianne's house were all bugged to try and gain some information. As a result, the Metropolitan Police obtained evidence that linked not just one, but a number of different individuals to Daniel's murder. However, the Crown Prosecution Service declined to press any charges on the grounds that there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute. The fifth and final inquiry, which was held in secret, began after the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Sir Ian Blair, declared that the first inquiry, the one involving Sid Fillory, had been compromised. Detective Superintendent David Cook was appointed to head the inquiry and, at its conclusion, described Daniel Morgan's murder as, quote, 
one of the worst-kept secrets in Southeast London, and said that a whole cabal of people knew the identity of at least some of the people involved and did nothing. He said that there was a smear campaign against Daniel's character that was meant to distract from who the killer, or killers, were and dismissed all claims against him. Things like an affair with a client or that he was involved with Colombian drug dealers. More bugs were placed, and finally, both Jonathan Reese and Sid Fillory were, once again, arrested, along with Glenn and Gary Vianne and a builder named James Cook. A serving police officer suspected of leaking information was also arrested. The trial for Jonathan, Sid, Gary, and Glenn began in 2009, and in February of 2010, the trial judge dismissed a key witness and a stay of prosecution was ordered for Sid Fillory. The following November, a second witness was dismissed and James Cook was discharged. And in January of 2011, yet another witness was dismissed after accusations that police had failed to disclose he was a registered police informant. By March of 2011, the director of public prosecutions had abandoned the case altogether on the grounds that they were unable to guarantee their right to a fair trial and the remaining suspects were all acquitted. The case had somehow fallen apart before it ever really got started. The Metropolitan Police's senior homicide officer apologized to the Morgan family and acknowledged the impact on the case of police corruption in the past, saying, quote, This current investigation has identified ever more clearly how the initial inquiry failed the family and wider public. It is quite apparent that police corruption was a debilitating factor in that investigation. It seemed that, after 24 years of fighting for justice, Daniel's family was back at square one with no one being held accountable for his murder. After the collapse of the trial in March of 2011, it was revealed that Jonathan Reese had earned about £150,000 a year from the news of the world for supplying illegally obtained information about people to the public eye. Despite this and his sentencing for perverting the course of justice, He was hired again by the News of the World upon his release from prison and worked regularly on the behalf of the Daily Mirror, Sunday Mirror, and News of the World. He used his network of corrupt police officers to secure confidential information that he would then sell to the highest bidder. And if that wasn't enough, he was also alleged to have commissioned burglaries on the behalf of the journalists. After a phone scandal in which a correspondent from the News of the World intercepted a voicemail from the British royal family, the Guardian newspaper called for a public inquiry into the News of the World and how their parent company, News Corporations, handled the accusation of crime within the organization and the newspaper's use of Jonathan Reese's services. His activities were described as a, quote, devastating pattern of illegal behavior in which unauthorized access to computer data and bank accounts corruption of police officers, and burglaries were used to target the highest levels of government and obtain stories for the paper. They published an extensive report on Jonathan's involvement with the police and described a, quote, empire of corruption that both Jonathan and Sid Fillory built in the years following Daniel Morgan's murder. In May of 2013, in the heat of a battle between papers, the Home Office announced it was going to hold an independent inquiry into Daniel's murder, despite the fact that there was a very low likelihood that it would lead to any prosecution. 
According to the Home Secretary, Theresa May, they simply wanted to shine a light on the circumstances of the murder and how the case was handled by the police. On March 6, 2014, Mark Ellison QC published a report that alleged the corruption of the Metropolitan Police in connection to a man named Stephen Lawrence. The report also commented on the substantial evidence linking this case with Daniel's murder. In October of 2014, the Vianne brothers, Sid Fillery, Jonathan Reese, and James Cook launched a four million pound lawsuit against the Metropolitan Police. And in February of 2017, the High Court ruled on the case. Jonathan and the Viannes lost their claim, but Sid was awarded £25,000 in interim damages. Jonathan and the brothers appealed the ruling in 2018, and in 2019, they were awarded about £414,000 in damages. While they have won their cases against the police, the unsolved murder of Daniel Morgan remains a symbol of cultural corruption and unaccountability within law enforcement. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on March 11th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.